You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, at the close of Exodus chapter 6, we have the genealogy of Moses and Aaron, which, as I mentioned last time, indicates to us that there is a massive event that is about to occur. And God, in preparation for this massive event, records the details of the life and the history and the family of two of the main and key figures of this massive event that is about to occur. And of course, those two figures were Moses and Aaron. And so we saw at the end of chapter 6 their Levite genealogy. Now they've gone into Pharaoh. They've declared to him, God says, let my people go that they may serve me by having a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh has responded by saying, who is the Lord? He thinks it's a request, but it's just the mercy of God giving Pharaoh an opportunity to submit himself to God's will before God carries out his will in the life of his people. And at one point was great rejoicing for the Hebrew people with Moses coming back from his 40 years of absence, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep and the backside of the desert, returning now to Egypt and announcing that God had appeared to him and that they would be set free by the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they would go to the promised land and and there become a, a people that God had called them to be. At one time, been a great rejoicing as a result of that message has now turned into great sorrow because Pharaoh has made their labor hard and difficult, showing the wickedness inside of this man's heart. And so now we enter into Exodus chapter 7, where God is going to begin to bring down his judgment upon Pharaoh, upon the false gods there in Egypt, and begin to build the story of redemption for God's people, a story that they would tell their children for every generation. It says in verse 1 of chapter 7, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, verse 4. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So this judgment that was coming was designed to deliver the people of Israel. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. A phrase that's repeated often, especially concerning the life of Moses, doing just as the Lord commanded him. And so God basically tells Moses, he says, listen, you're going to be like God to Pharaoh. And what, what that means is you are going to be the one who speaks to Pharaoh and you're going to have this place of prominence over this man, Pharaoh, who, oh, by the way, 
declares himself to be somewhat of a deity there in Egypt. It's time to set the record straight. You will not be God to him, but you'll be like God to him. You'll have authority and power. You'll speak to him. And Aaron will be your prophet. In other words, you are going to speak to Aaron, and Aaron is going to broadcast the things that you say to him publicly. And that, of course, is the role of a prophet, to hear the word of the Lord. And as they hear the word of the Lord, they then broadcast it to the people. By the way, that's a great pastoral calling, to hear the word of God, to receive the word of God, and then to deliver the word of God. Not your own word, not your own thoughts, feelings, or emotions, but the word of God, to unleash it for the people of God. Now, in the middle of all of this, it tells us there in verse 5, he says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. In other words, these judgments were not only going to stir up the faith of the Hebrew people and cause them to understand and know who the Lord is. Now, they had heard of the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. They had heard of the God of Joseph. And they had loved the Lord and worshipped the Lord, but had yet to really coalesce around the name of the Lord and really become the Lord's people. And so here they're going to really discover who God is. They're going to see his character as he judges the sinful ways of Pharaoh. There will be much that they observe about God through this time of judgment. But God tells Moses, it won't only be the Hebrew people, the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. They're running around worshiping all of their Egyptian false gods. It's time for them to learn who the true and the living God really is. Now it says in verse 7 that Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. I just have to camp out on that for just a moment. The ages, first of all, of the two major figures, Moses and Aaron, are recorded for us. Moses, 80, Aaron, his older brother, 83 years old. These are older men. Moses would live to be 120. You have these older men who at the age of 80 and 83 are going to carry out the most significant work of their entire lives. I mean, really, Moses' life especially could be divided up into three sections of 40 years. And it had taken 80 years now. This double 40, which would indicate double purification or judgment, to prepare him for these final 40 years of fruitfulness and ministry. And so after 80 years, it's finally time for Moses to do and complete his life's work. I live in a culture that is absolutely head over heels in love and infatuated with youthfulness. We love youth. We love to think young. We love to market young. We love to do ministry to the young. And I think in many ways, especially in the ministry sense, that is an appropriate paradigm. We should always be thinking about the next generation, raising up the next generation, pouring into the next generation. But I think a negative that sometimes results is that we tend to feel that our most productive years in Christ are going to come in our younger years. 
And I think that ought not be the perspective. Oh, it might be that in your younger years, you're planting churches. And it might be that in your younger years, you've started your family. It might be in your younger years that you're laying down the foundational elements for whatever is to come in your life. But understand and know that there's a moment in time where you shift You shift from doing things out of and in strength, and you start operating under wisdom. And that wisdom leads you to incredible fruitfulness. At 80 years of age, Moses is going to do wonderful things. There is finally an authority. There is finally a wisdom. There is finally a might and just the timing of God involved in this man's life. So don't sell yourself short. As you grow older, understand and know that God has perhaps the most fruitful times of your life in front of you. I know for me, I'm expectant that should the Lord tarry and should he allow me to live a long life here on earth relative to our expectations of what a long life looks like, should the Lord give me 80 years, I'm expectant that in those seasons of my life, God is going to do a work through me that might not be incredibly broad, and it it might be, but I believe with all my heart that whatever it is, it will be incredibly deep. I believe that there will be a forcefulness to my ministry at that stage of my life. Even if the Lord has me ministering to just a handful of pastors at that stage of my life, I believe that the Lord is going to cause that season of my life to be so abundantly fruitful as I shift from strength to wisdom. I I look forward to those days. Then the Lord, verse 8, said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before you, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So God tells Moses, hey, go into Pharaoh and announce yourself to him again. And Pharaoh is going to say something to you. He's going to say, prove yourselves by working a miracle. And when he does, Aaron, take the staff, throw it on the ground, and let it become a serpent. And so they did so. And when they did that, it's very interesting in this text because it tells us that Pharaoh summoned his wise men and his sorcerers, his magicians, and they replicated this miracle. It's fascinating. Now, Jewish tradition, we don't have it recorded for us in Scripture, but Jewish tradition which was cited by Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, so perhaps there is some force to their names, is that these magicians were named Janus and Jambres. And these characters come out and they replicate this miracle, which is fascinating and, of course, begs the question, where did they get the power, the strength, and the might to replicate 
this miraculous work. Now, of course, I suppose it's possible that there was some kind of magic trick up their sleeves, that there was some kind of, you know, sleight of hand thing that they were doing here. And that's very possible. Some would say it's probable that that's what was occurring through these sorcerers, through these magicians. Personally, I lean towards this having actually occurred. I believe that these magicians were very bound up in the demonic realm. And I believe that as they had given themselves over to blatant idolatry, to the worship of many pagan and false gods, as they had given themselves over to basically the worship of demons. At the end of the day, I believe that these men had tapped into the power of the demonic realm. I believe in my reading of the book of Revelation that a day is coming where the Antichrist and his false prophet are going to work what appear to be miraculous, incredible signs and wonders in front of the world. There is a demonic power that is very real. It never trumps the power of God. It's not even close to the power of God as we're going to see through these plagues. But I believe that we are seeing the demonic realm released through these sorcerers through these magicians and the next thing that happens is very key Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs <laughs> I love the way the Bible phrases it Aaron's snake swallowed up their snakes but it says Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs and so in a sense what's happening here is God is declaring all out war on their demonic and false gods. And what we're going to see and observe is that it's not even a contest. It's not even close when you consider who the champion is. And so God is about ready to flex. He's about ready to judge. He's about ready to defeat these false gods completely and thoroughly. And I believe here in this little moment, right before Pharaoh, God is declaring war on the demonic realm there in Egypt and in Pharaoh's midst. Then verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent and you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, keyword, you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile River. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff, verse 19, and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So here we have what is called the first plague, and it's a plague against the water. 
namely the Nile River, and it would all be turned into blood. Now, a couple of comments to make. First of all, they were to do this, as it says in verse 15, when Pharaoh was going out to the water in the morning. Now, what's going to follow is a set of 10 plagues. But if you were to break up that set of 10 plagues into sections, there are three sections of three plagues each that begin with a proclamation in the morning. So that little narrative note indicates to us a new section of three. That, of course, only gets us, three sections of three, nine plagues. The tenth plague would be the final act of judgment and the final act of deliverance in the Passover lamb and the angel of death. So its own standalone, not a part of a set of three, but its own standalone plague. So an interesting narrative note as Pharaoh went out to the water in the morning. Now, as Pharaoh did go out to the water, there's a strong possibility that he was going out there for some kind of religious exercise or worship. And so they were to go out and here they're going to strike the water and deal with the river Nile and actually turn it into blood. Now, perhaps, as some suggest, there is a natural explanation for some of these plagues. You know, just natural disasters occurring, natural events. Some have pointed out the possibilities of floods further south that would actually turn the water of the Nile red and give it the appearance of blood. But as I read it, it's hard for me not to just see the miraculous hand of God. And, you know, so perhaps there is a natural explanation here, uh, excessive equatorial rains or something like that. But to me, it reads as a miraculous event. And it says in verse 20, that Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. Again, it's very literal sounding, turned into blood. Now, perhaps it appeared to be blood. Perhaps, you know, in other passages, you see the moon will be turned into blood and, and we can understand that to mean that perhaps it will look as if it's turned into blood. It will be a reddish color. But here, at least for me, I believe that this water was actually turned into real blood, which was, of course, interesting because the Egyptians believed that the Nile was Osiris's bloodstream. And it's remarkable that God here corrupts the bloodstream of Osiris and turns this water into blood. Now, the interesting thing to follow is that it says in verse 21, first of all, that the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But, verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. It's interesting because these magicians, they do not have the miraculous supernatural power to change the water back to fresh water, but they just take fresh water and turn it into more blood water. All they can do is make matters worse. They cannot improve matters. And so Pharaoh's heart, again, a major theme of this section, remained hardened. He would not listen to them. Now in chapter 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, and this was perhaps, as we saw in the last verse of chapter 7, seven days later. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Now, you have to notice here that this is the warning of God. God is giving Pharaoh a merciful warning concerning the plagues that are to come. If you don't let them go, then your whole country is going to be riddled with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers over the canals and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, it was very normal for the Nile to be well populated with frogs later in the year, during the month of December, around that time but not in August. And so here they are going to experience an incredible miracle. Now, another thing that should be mentioned is, is that these Egyptian people, they regarded frogs as having divine power. There was a goddess that they worshiped named Heket, who had the form of a woman with a frog's head. And so because of that, Frogs were not to be killed because they were considered to be a sacred animal. So you can just imagine. And God announces that these frogs are going to pervade the entire nation. Aaron is going to stretch out his hand over all the waters in the entire nation. And the frogs are going to come into the homes and into the beds and into the kneading bowls and into the ovens of the people. It's going to be not just a, an incredible inconvenience, but a, a rather grotesque experience for the people of Egypt. Now, in response to this miracle, as the frogs come out of the river and as they are populating the land. And it is interesting because there is a little bit of a connection biblically between frogs and the demonic realm and as they are coming up out of the land and out of the river into the land the magicians it tells us in verse 7 well they did the same again no relief only duplication of the miracle they make matters worse yeah, the devil might be powerful he might have strength 
but his strength is only used for evil. He's never been able to use his power for any kind of good in any person's life. And so God is going to draw out this demonic power so that he can crush this demonic power. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, this is the first moment where it seems like Pharaoh is beginning to break. Here you have Pharaoh, this man who claims to be a child of the sun. You have Pharaoh now asking Moses, a Hebrew man, who represents the Hebrew people who were the slaves of this so-called God-man named Pharaoh, you have Pharaoh going to this slave representative and saying, please pray to the Lord for me. Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. So, a little bit of humbling from Pharaoh. But it doesn't last long. Moses said to Pharaoh, verse 9, Behold, said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. <laughs> this has always been a fascinating little statement to me. Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, Moses, please plead with the Lord for me that the frogs might depart from me and from my nation. And Moses says, okay, I'll pray for you and I'll plead. Uh, tell me, when do you want this to occur? When do you want the frogs to be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile? And his answer has always struck me as ironic. He says, tomorrow, tomorrow. I, I've never understood why he didn't just say, today, right now, go out now, this moment, and pray. It was just like a one more night with the frogs. You know, one more day with these vile creatures living in our homes. One more day. Also, how difficult it is for us to let go of even the things that plague us. One more day, one more moment tomorrow. And Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron, verse 12, went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. So, a horrible consequence. The relief is almost worse than the plague. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So, again, Pharaoh hardens his heart, which, of course, is a great theme of this section of the book of Exodus. You'll, we'll see the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart, and we'll see Pharaoh hardening his heart. And both are accurate. Both are true. And so he hardens his heart once again, and he would not let the people go.
Remember the power of the Lord. Wherever you're at, brother or sister in Christ, remember the power of the Lord. He is stronger. He is able. And deliverance might take some time, but the Lord is stronger. Have hope. Understand and know that victory can be yours in Christ. Trust his power. Lean upon his strength. Give him access and be on his side, for he will truly win and be victorious in the end. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.